Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. Today, as we've been working through, we've got to an interesting stage of Galatians where Paul's getting very practical. But just to help set the scene here, has anybody ever heard the name John Owen? There's one hand going up, good, good. And another hand going up there, right? Well, John Owen was a Puritan preacher from the 1600s. You may not have known him personally, okay, I'm sure you didn't know that. But he wrote this line in one of his books, and here's the line he wrote, Be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Now, these sort of guys sort of wrote straight at it back in that day and age. They, they knew very insightful, and that's what he did. He was straight at it. Sin is something we don't like to talk about too much, even though the Bible's full of it. Actually, dealing with our sinfulness. And it's probably something we don't really fully understand well either as people. What is this sin? Is it just some sort of you know, naughty stuff we do sometimes? John Owen says, be killing sin or it will be killing you. See, I don't think we see the absolute wickedness of sin because we've lost sight of the absolute holiness of who God is. And when you lose sight of that, you actually lose sight of how deadly sin is. Uh, John Owen gets it right, really right, with the seriousness of sin. Paul's going to head somewhat of this direction for us today uh, in Galatians. Uh, Go to Galatians chapter 5, I'm going to read from verse 16 through to verse 26. Verse 16, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness and orgies and things like these. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the spirit is love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. Lord, thank you. Thank you for this really powerful passage of Scripture, that Holy Spirit, you inspired the Apostle Paul to write this thousands of years ago. Yet it speaks into our heart and mind today just as real as it did back then. Your word is living, it's eternal. We ask, Holy Spirit, bring that word to life in our hearts now. Help us today to put to death sinful desires and help us alternatively to produce the fruit that you want to produce in our life, we pray. We ask for your help now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we said last week, um, Paul has drawn this imaginary line underneath verse 12 and is now moving into practical gospel living. Another way you could say it is like this. 
gospel implications for life that find their foundation in the gospel truth that Paul's been writing about leading up to Galatians here. Of one of the very many beautiful things about Jesus is, is that he not only saves us, but he also brings us into a life of liberating transformation as well. He liberates us. He transforms us. And this is what we're going to see Paul here, uh, now with Paul, bring about this gospel application for us, is to live out our true and life-giving freedom that the gospel brings to our hearts and brings to our lives. In this particular passage we've just read here, there's a big emphasis on the Holy Spirit. Paul mentions it like seven times here going through this passage. And how he works in us, that is the Spirit of the living God, works in us not to give in to our sinful flesh and follow its desires. It strengthens us to not do that. So here's where we're going to head today as we think about this passage here and what Paul's telling us. A Spirit-filled life will do battle against our sins and empower us to produce the fruit that reflects the character of Christ. A spirit-filled life will do battle against our sins and empower us to produce the fruit that reflects the character of Christ. Righto, Paul takes us here really into what is the normal Christian life after conversion. It's a life of warfare. It's a life of war. There's actually hostility taking place inside of you, inside of me as well, with these two opposing forces, as it were, doing battle inside over desires and over actions. Have a look in verse 17. Paul lays it out really clearly there for us. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. You're picking up two enemies here, well, not two opposing forces. And he says that very next. For these are opposed to each other. That word opposed is like hostile to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. Here's, what's happened. Here's the scene that takes place after conversion. So Holy Spirit has come upon us and revealed to us the truth of the gospel. So we now understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us. We're converted, we're born again. After conversion, sin's power is broken. It no longer has dominion over us, but its presence still remains within us. We have desires that tempt us to do ungodly things. It's still there. It's, still, it's weakened and it's crippled, but it's still there. And at the same time, we have the Holy Spirit, God's Spirit, now residing within us, leading us to a life of righteous, godly deeds or godly activities. That's the struggle that we have. Our sinful nature or sinful desires are sort of going in one direction, and the spirit working within us is sort of going in the other direction. They're opposed to each other. They're trying to pull you or and me in different directions. Now, we need to probably stop and think a little bit here about sin. We don't often do that. First thing we need to understand about these sinful desires, this, the, the flesh is what Paul's talking about here. They're very powerful. They're very strong. They're not weak. There's actually an attractiveness about sin that is very alluring. It tells me this is going to be good. That's what sin does. It deceives me with these thoughts. And let's be really honest about sin. It is delightful for a season. 
Don't let ever someone tell you that oh, sin's really bad. It'll leave a bitter taste in your mouth at the end of the day, but when it first begins to sort of give birth in your heart, it's good. When someone is battling a lustful desire, pornography looks very enticing. It's just there. And in the moment, it feels really good. When that desire is unchecked, and it just sits there, and I know those nude images are just one or two clicks away on the mouse, there's like an endorphin rush within us. It nearly feels exhilarating. Sin does feel good for a season. It's not easy to stop. It's very difficult to stop. When every fibre of your being gets engaged with lust, in lustful desires... It's like this raging fire that is looking for fuel to just burn anything up in its pathway. It's this powerful urge within us that sin takes hold of. Sinful desires are very, very powerful. Sin doesn't like to be unseated from the throne of your life or my life. It doesn't give up easily. It wants to hold on to any sort of dominion or mastery over your life that it possibly can. It works really harder. It wants to rule out every decision in many respects. It's these thoughts, it's these desires within that actually have this hold. Sin tells me this. Sin tells me I won't be happy until I fulfill its desires. That's when you'll find ultimate happiness if you actually follow this desire pathway. And those sins are deceptive. Those desires are deceptive. It could work a bit like this. You might come into a room with a group of people there and you see someone over there who's prettier than you. I want to eliminate that person. Why? Because the sin of jealousy says, you're competition to me. What rules in my life is being the prettiest person in the room, so to speak. And when the sin of jealousy rises up, I want to eliminate that person over there. So what do I do? I might go do something or say something to try and cut them down. Make them feel less than me so I can elevate myself above them that way. And the deceptiveness of sin is like this. What we don't see is it is turning me into a bitter and vindictive person when I allow that to take place. I think I'm fulfilling my, my destiny in life to be the prettiest person or whatever. But sin's actually deceiving me and making me a bitter and vindictive person as I try and eliminate that person over there because they're prettier than me. Sin is very powerful, extremely powerful. This is the warfare that we're talking about here. Now Paul goes on in this passage to list some of these sins and it appears like, in some respects, there's categories for us that he's done that. I'm not saying he has, but it appears like that. Have a look in verse 19. He says there... Sexual immorality, impurity, and sensuality. These are all sexual sins. Speaks into our world today. Big time. It's no different than 2,000 years ago. Our world is rife with these sins. We are a culture that is bombarded with sexual imagery. And also explicit sexual education. Now, especially over the last 10 years, it's just gone crazy even in our kindergartens and going up with gender ideology. Now, I read over the last couple of weeks that the Melbourne City Council is sponsoring a drag queen to come and to talk to children about gender. 
it just gives an indication of the world we live in, the culture we are, with this idea of sexuality just invading every space. Paul's listing these ones here. Now, sexual immorality, what does that mean? What does that mean? I've heard people say this before. Well, I'm going to marry this person, so a little bit of sexual activity is okay before we get married. Because that's the person I'm going to marry, so it doesn't really matter. Well, any activity of a sexual nature outside of marriage is a sin against that other person, but also a gross sin against the moral purity of God. Sexual immorality is any activity of a sexual nature outside of marriage. Paul says that is a work of the flesh. Verse 20, he has like a religious category of sins here. Idolatry and sorcery. Uh, These are gross sins of looking to false gods as things to be worshipped, as things that can control my life or things that I need to bow down to or things that I need to actually uh, come before and serve. Now, we're not talking about necessarily just wooden gods or gods of silver or gold. Uh, We can make things like power or money or position. We can make those things the sort of gods in our life that control our every move in life. Paul says, no, idolatry and sorcery are works of the flesh, of the sinful nature rising up through us. Verse 20, 21 again, we have another, as it were, category of sins. Relational sins, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, envy. It's not a glamorous list, is it? Have you ever felt any of those things rising up within you? Have you ever given yourself over to a fit of anger? I probably think every hand needs to go up here at this moment. I'm not going to ask anyone to raise hands. If I brought you out to the orchard and took you to our workshop, I could show you a hole in the wall. Now that hole in the wall came when I was trying to undo a bolt and it snapped off. So I picked up the span and I just hurled it as hard as I could and went straight through the wall. The hole is still there today. That was a fit of anger. I didn't have a great temper when I was about eight or nine. Well, probably most of my years were up to that point. It wasn't great. And that hole in the wall is still there. So if I ever go past it, yep, I know what I did that day. I know what I did that day. It's still there. It's a fit of anger. What do these things do? Well, it puts holes in walls, but it can go far worse than that. Far worse than that. It can actually destroy relationships. We allow things like fits of anger and jealousy and strife to rise up. Think of how many ladies have been killed this year by men through domestic violence. Through a fit of anger. Uncontrolled. Taken out and a life is gone. Disastrous. Verse 21. Paul goes on in this really evil list. Drunkenness and orgies. People living in uncontrolled and unrestrained wild parties. These are like sins of excess, of excessiveness, just going off the charts. Crazy. Often these parties that are fueled by alcohol and these wild, 
crazy things. And what does that lead to often? Immoral behaviour, including sexual assault of women, often. Paul says these are works of the flesh. Drunkenness and orgies. Well, these are, this is not an exhaustive list, mind you. This is not, okay, this is the list of sins. No, no, no. This, Paul's just saying, here's some of the things that are works of the flesh. And these are the sort of things that we are doing battle with inside our hearts. These desires that spring up and want to actually give birth to those sorts of actions. In our mind, as it were, there's this really crazy, powerful battle of these, uh, battle of these competing desires. And sometimes... When you're in the thick of that battle, when you are feeling the most, it feels like your head wants to explode when you're actually struggling so much in that particular spot. It feels like it's out of control sometimes when everything's uh, pushing against each other so hard. Don't be shocked. This is the battle that's going on within us and this is the normal Christian life, not for extremes of that battle all the time, but you'll have seasons where maybe it's quite low and other times where it's seriously intense. This is the normal Christian life. Paul's actually given it to us here. He said you've got these competing desires taking place. And in fact, when you become a Christian, this battle, as it were, heightens more so because now that you know the truth about this world and you know the truth about yourself... You're more aware of sin and you're more aware of Satan's devices and plans. So the battle actually becomes more heightened in your own mind. Prior to that, you just gave in to every sinful desire, possibly. There was no battle. But there is one now. And Paul tells us here what the end result of this is if we don't choose the way of the Spirit. Have a look at what it says in verse 21. Paul says, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, let me explain what Paul's saying here. As a believer, if you fall into some of those things every now and again, like you're trying hard, but in a moment of weakness you fall into that sin, Paul's not saying then, okay, you won't inherit the kingdom of God. Paul is saying here is if you are just living habitually in that the works of the flesh, like giving no resistance to it whatsoever, just going headlong down that pathway, Paul's saying, I'm not sure you converted. I don't think you're born again. You're just giving yourself over to the works of the flesh. So Paul's saying, if you're going to just go that way, you will not inherit the kingdom of God. In fact, you will end up in hell. That's the battle. That's the battle we're in. But praise God, we don't go into this war without the power to overcome and get victory in this intense battle. God gives us a really, really powerful weapon here that is more than enough to overcome the enemy and these desires that are working within us and inside of us. The weapon is God's spirit, where Paul's been going in this passage. Have a look in verse 16. He says this, But I say, so keying off from verses 13 to 15 from last week, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Walk by the Spirit and you won't fulfill these other desires that are competing inside you. And Paul mentions again in verse 18, led by the Spirit, and again in verse 25, live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. This is the weapon of the warfare that God has given to us to engage in this battle and to engage in these opposing desires up here. Sometimes I think, though, 
The Holy Spirit is the, the forgotten God. We sort of know all about Jesus because the Bible we know is speaking about Jesus. And we know God the Father who sends the Son. But we just don't maybe have a full grasp sometimes. Well, the Holy Spirit, who, who is the Holy Spirit? Well, we believe in a triune God. God is one, yet God is in three persons. And we've got to understand that the Holy Spirit is fully God, just like the Father and just like the Son, Jesus. Whatever attributes and divine attributes are in the Son and in the Father, the Holy Spirit has exactly the same attributes, carrying out a different function than the Father and the Son. So what we have then is this glorious blessing that the Holy Spirit lives within every born-again believer. That's what happens at conversion. God's Spirit takes up residence within our heart. We, we as we have a new mindset, a new way of thinking, new affections, new drives. We have, we have the empowering, indwelling presence of God within us. I think sometimes we just don't fully get that. But that's what we've got. God's within us now. So what that means is this. We're not given a water pistol, as it were, to go out and fight a raging bushfire of sin, or a bit of a squirt, 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 squirt. That's not what we're given. We're actually given a torrential downpour, as it were, to just smother the whole fire as it rages within us through the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's a superior force. That is what the Holy Spirit is. It is the unlimited power of God, the omnipotent power of God, which gives us this new resolve, which gives us this new mindset, which gives us this new affections now to take on this really wicked enemy called sin that wants to keep rising up within us. We've got the presence of God. And here's what happens in this battle as it takes place. Initially, initially, the Spirit awakens our minds to this desire as a sinful desire. This desire comes along, this thought pops up in our mind, and it's like we have this warning system that goes off within us. Something very quiet, but something at the same time loudly in our mind as, we, as this desire gives birth is, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. It's in there and it's telling us that. It's silent, but we can hear it. Don't do it. This is wrong. Well, then what happens as, as the Spirit's working within us? Well, I've heard some people say, well, at that point, well, I'll just sit back and I'll let go and let God. Mm, not quite. Not quite. That's not how it works for the Holy Spirit. We, we aren't. Passive individuals, as it were, just being moved along with the current. We're actively involved. Paul says in verse 16 this, Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Think about when you're walking. Are you passive? Is somebody just picking you up and just shifting you along? No, you sort of put one foot in front of that and you put the next foot. You're actually doing something. You're not passive, you're active. Walking means, in a sense here, cooperating with the Spirit. Cooperating with God's Spirit. Or taking hold of the new desires that the Spirit gives us and taking hold of the power that the Spirit gives us and say no to sin. I'm not going to do this. We actively need to engage there. 
we take hold of it. We actually see it for what it is and say, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to commit myself to this. The Holy Spirit actually helps us see, helps us to see what sin really is. It helps us to see that sin is a wicked, degrading desire that is actually dehumanizing us. That's what sin does. It destroys us from the inside. If it is sexual sin, and I'll talk about that today because we live in a sexual world now. If it's a sexual sin, it turns me into some sort of a beast that has to gratify my lust onto anything. It dehumanizes us. And if you think about that, when we actually, if we were to carry that desire out, what we, what we in fact are doing is like giving God a punch in the face. And what I mean by that is this, it's like, God, that's what I think about the sexual purity you created me for, punch. I'll go fulfill my own desires. The Holy Spirit's helping us to see here the wickedness of sin. And really, just in that sort of description, it's only just a shadow of how ugly and how wicked and how dehumanising sin really is in our lives. And how offensive it is to God who's created us. So the Spirit helps us then as we see sin's desire rise up, as we sense it wanting to, as it were, give birth out of our minds and into an action, the Holy Spirit helps us to kill that desire. Not wound it, but kill it. Paul uses his language here in verse 24. He says this, And those who belong to Christ Jesus, born again, following Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Crucified it. Killed it. When it comes to sin, we take no prisoners. That's not the rules of warfare is to take prisoners when it comes to dealing with sin. No prisoners when it comes to sin. We kill sin's desires. We don't give sin a little seat in a dark corner of our heart just to sort of keep it under wraps over there. I don't quite want to kill it. I just want to just keep it over there a little. No. We kill sin's desires. That's why John Owen said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. With all our might and with all the power the Holy Spirit gives us, we kill the desire the moment it raises evil, ugly head above water. Chop it off. Don't give it a second to breathe. I was reading earlier in the week about um, this from John Stott, and this is what John Stott says about taking a second look at sin after we've killed it or crucified it. He says this, We can begin to fondle it, caress it, to long for its release, even to try to take it down again from the cross. We need to learn to leave it there. When some jealous or proud or malicious or impure thought invades our mind, we must kick it out at once. It is fatal to begin to examine it and consider whether we're going to give in to it or not. We have declared war on it. We are not going to resume negotiations. We've settled the issue for good. We're not going to reopen it. We've crucified the flesh and we're not going to withdraw the nails. Don't give it a moment extra. When, you, when that thought comes, you kill it. 
you chop it off. The moment we give it any oxygen to breathe in our heart, just begin to just let that desire roll around and just think about it again, here's what it'll do. It sinks these poisonous roots around you and it just grips your heart the longer you keep thinking about that sinful desire. And it destroys us on the inside. Chop it off. Kill it. Well, this is the Holy Spirit. This is the potent weapon that we have from God. To kill sin and to overcome its deceptive powers, we partner with God's Spirit to put to death these ugly, wicked desires that rise up in our heart. I often wonder, why have you done it this way, Lord? Couldn't we just sort of have like sin eradicated from us and we don't have to do this battle? It's not in the Bible, but I think sometimes maybe the Lord's left it this way so we get to experience God's Spirit working through us to overcome sin and to actually achieve these victories and feel a blessing in that. Not to become proud about it, but just to know God's power is real, it is active and it is living inside of us and it's actually helping us to overcome. And sometimes when we fall, it helps us to appreciate the next victory even more because we just sense, God, you're with me, you're real, you're active, you're living. You're helping me to overcome here. Sometimes I think that's why the Lord has done that. Sometimes I wish, Lord, maybe you could just take that away. Maybe. Okay, so there's a war. And we have the weapon in God's spirit. And in this winning position, as it were, we're able to produce this beautiful fruit that reflects gospel transformation. Have a look here. Paul shows us this fruit, as it were, of a spirit-filled life transformed by Jesus Christ. Now I probably shouldn't have to say anything because you've all learned this at kids church in the years gone by but Galatians 5, 23 but she's gone off the list of the works of the flesh but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. No restrictions. Can you, if we were to put up that list again of the works of the flesh from that earlier verse, which was just before this, and then put that in comparison to these fruits that we just saw then in Galatians 22 and 23, it's night and day, isn't it? It's black and white. The fruit just blows away, as it were, the works of the flesh. When you see those things... Wouldn't you want to live in a community that, where those attitudes are flowing freely between each other? Glorious things. If you took sort of Joe Average off the street and said, hey, here's a list of the works of the flesh and here's a list of the fruit of the spirit, what would you go for? It's a no-brainer. Of course you'd go for that. Who, who wants to live like this over here when you can see the fruit that God's spirit wants to grow in our hearts and our lives? This is the character, as it were, of Christ being outworked through us, through the presence of the Holy Spirit, empowering us to live as Jesus intends us to. And it's a beautiful fruit. They are beautiful character traits. They really do grow a strong community of people. And this is actually where our warfare is aimed at. It's not meant to be all just left in the negative putting to death and killing. It's meant to produce this harvest of righteousness is meant to produce this harvest of fruit to, to be evident in our lives. 
surely we want to live there. Surely we want to live in love and joy and peace. Surely we want to live in patience and kindness and goodness. Surely we want to live in faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. I don't really want to put holes in the wall of the workshop. Lord, help me to exercise self-control. Lord, help me not to say that thing to my wife, Laura, when she just doesn't deserve that. Help me to exercise self-control. This is where the Lord wants us to be. And as I said, there's no, law, there's no restriction on these things. Let it flow. Let it come out of us as we partner with God's Spirit. Can you imagine, can you really imagine here, if we took these things, these fruit, into every relationship? Can you imagine how that relationship would look? Marked by love, marked by joy, marked by peace and patience and goodness and kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. Can you imagine how that would look? Glorious. Imagine if somehow we could take this fruit into every layer of governing authorities in our lives. Imagine the state of communities around about us. This is the fruit that God wants to bear in our hearts and lives through his spirit working within us. Now, I think about this world we are around, and we see lots of evidence here of the works of the flesh. There's lots of you know, evil behaviour around us, and the world says, we actually we want to reform from all that evil, evil behaviour. But what's the approach of the world when it comes to trying to get that reform to take place? Well, I'll tell you what the approach normally is. It's this. It's more education. Okay, we've got to better educate people about these things. It's more laws to be restrictive. And it's tougher penalties. That's the way the world approaches reforming this sort of behaviour. More education, uh, more laws and tougher penalties. And what's the result of that? Evil behaviour still goes on. I'm not saying don't do more education, more laws and tougher penalties. That's okay. It's only got a limit as how far it can go in trying to get reform in, in people's lives. You see, what we need, though, is a whole new drive system. We need a whole new internal makeover. We need a whole new heart with a whole new set of desires. And this is what the Holy Spirit gives. And this is what God gives to us to live this life out and to bear that fruit. Let's think about this today, then, how that applies to us. Because it's really important here to understand that we shouldn't read this passage from in isolation from the rest of Galatians, as we think about it. Because you might think, well, this is a very good moralistic talk today, Todd. Be a better person, live a better way. We don't see this in isolation from the rest of the book of Galatians. The spirit-filled life here is what Paul's talking about, is a result of what Jesus has purchased for us at the cross. So we're not doing those things to earn some sort of ground of confidence with God. Or earn some sort of bargaining chip with God. Not at all. This Paul's already gone through four and a half chapters here of it's not law, it's faith in what Jesus has done for us. So this is now the gospel lived out from that foundation of rescued and saved in Christ and his finished work within us. But here's the question we've got to ask ourselves then as we think about applying this today and about fighting against sin and producing this fruit because that's what we're called to and that's what we want to do. Here's the question we need to ask ourselves. How do we keep in step with the Holy Spirit? 
How are we led by the Spirit? Because Paul's actually put that there. Be led by the Spirit. Paul's preaching here, as it were, this life of gospel victory, and he's anchoring in that. He says, keep in step with the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Well, he gives us a hint for this back early on in Galatians. Have a look in Galatians 3.5. Paul says this. Does he who supplies the Spirit, so there's the Holy Spirit that we're talking about, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So Paul's given us two options here. It's a no-brainer as well. It's not by works of the law because Paul has spent four plus chapters saying it's not by works of the law. It's by hearing with faith. We receive the Spirit by faith as we put our trust in Christ. And as it were, we keep receiving the Spirit through hearing by faith. Paul says it there, by hearing with faith. So what are we supposed to be hearing in receiving more of the Spirit? What is it, Paul? Is there some secret sort of code out there or something? Is it the mystery I've got to unravel? What what, what do I need to hear? Paul. What's Paul writing? Paul's writing the words of the Holy Spirit. Paul's writing the Bible. He doesn't know it at the time, but he's inspired by God's Spirit to write this down. So what are the Galatians listening to? They're hearing the Bible. They're hearing the words of the Holy Spirit. And as they do that, They're growing in the presence of the Holy Spirit as they hear those words. As we feed on the word of God, the spirit of God grows within us. As we sit and think about God, as we see his words there, as we talk to other people about that from the Bible, the Holy Spirit's growing inside of us. We're hearing the words of the spirit that's changing the way we think. Here's John Stott again on growing in the spirit. He says this about trying to get a life that's actually growing in the spirit. He says, this will be seen in our whole way of life, in the leisure occupations we pursue, in the books we read and the friendships we make. Above all, in what older authors called a diligent use of the means of grace, that is, in a disciplined practice of prayer and scripture meditation, in fellowship with believers who provoke us to love and good works, in keeping the Lord's Day as the Lord's Day, and in attending public worship and the Lord's Supper. In all these ways, in all these ways, we occupy ourselves in spiritual things, things that are promoted by God's Spirit. It is not enough to yield passively to the Spirit's control, but we also must walk actively in the Spirit's way. Only so will the fruit of the Spirit appear in our lives. Giving ourselves to the means of grace that God has given to us so that we can grow in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit so then we can produce this fruit. Not for our glory, but for Christ's glory. But for our benefit, what a glorious community to live amongst with this love and this joy and this peace and good. Of course we want that. We've got to give ourselves to God's means where he will grow in us and his spirit will grow in us to produce that fruit. What are we doing this morning as we gather here? 
we we open up God's word so that the Holy Spirit will grow in us. We come away challenged by this. We come away encouraged by this. God's Spirit's using this opportunity as a means of grace today to grow us to produce this fruit. Then with his presence and power working through us, we are given everything now to put to death sin. We understand what the Spirit's doing. I get that strength now to say, no, I'm not going to do that. And if I fall and trip into sin, I can come back before a faithful God and confess my sins and receive forgiveness and I go up again. It's not over. The Spirit keeps giving me the power to do that. And this is what the Holy Spirit does. He takes this word and grows a picture of the beauty and the love of the power of Christ within us. And this vision of this conquering Christ who's done it all for us on our behalf becomes a very powerful weapon for us to move forward and live this life of fruit-bearing gospel transformation. And if we don't do that, or we cut ourselves off from those means of grace... Here's what happens. We find that sin and its temptation comes in and it begins to hold sway in our lives and we grow cold and we shrivel up on the inside. That's not where Jesus wants us to live. Jesus wants us to live in the power and grace that he gives to produce this fruit that magnifies and glorifies him and produces a community of people that really is a bright light in a dark world. That's the life that the Spirit calls us into. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today that we can come and uh, hear your living, eternal words speak into our hearts and lives, Lord. Father, we come before you today as broken vessels. Broken vessels that cannot fix ourselves when left to our own devices. Father, we come before you today just with the picture of the grace that you give to us through your son Jesus and then through the presence of your spirit living inside of us, taking broken individuals, pulling us back together again, letting that seed of love, your love Lord, grow in and through us and giving us the power to say no to evil deeds, giving us the power Lord to walk away from broken situations giving us the power, Lord, to submit to you and to see uh, your truth, as it were, resonating through our heart and through our mind, to produce this fruit, Lord, of love and joy and peace. Help us today, Lord, to, to put to death these sinful desires and to produce this fruit, to produce that fruit today, the fruit that is so liberating in our lives and produces such a glorious community of people that can reflect the good news of Christ. Lord, today for those who are feeling convicted by sin, feeling convicted by the things they've even maybe done this morning, Lord, God, but just remind them again that there's a fountain that is filled with your blood, that is flowing with grace, that speaks forgiveness and enables us to get up again to trust in you and to walk forward and produce that fruit. Father, thank you for that. Now we ask and pray it in your name, Jesus. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at 
info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.